Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Beat and a refreshing change where we will not be talking about the Premier League's crisis club. I'm Mark Brines from PA Media and I'm joined today by the Guardians Nick Ames and Simon Collings of the Evening Standard. Uh, we're going to look back on Friday's 3-1 win over Aston Villa, which may now have been forgotten about by the wider footballing world after some eye-catching results over the weekend. Later, we will also find out if it can be third time lucky for Nick as we play another round of Guess the Gooner. First of the chaps, Friday's win. Uh, it seems a while ago now, doesn't it, Nick? But I'll come to you first. Was that Arsenal's best showing of the season so far, do you think? Yeah, as you say, three three days is quite a long time in football, isn't it? But, um, but yeah, um, it, it was the best performance of the season. I'm, I'm absolutely sure of that. Um, and I think the difference is, I mean, the, the, the Spurs game was fantastic from from an Arsenal point of view. We know that. Arsenal blew them away for half the game. But but I think there was the element of Spurs being so ragged that they made they they facilitated a lot of what Arsenal did and helped them to look good. I felt it was the other way around on Friday and that's key. I I, I thought it was more in the direction of Arsenal making Villa look poor, which I think is really important. And I think if if, if the balance keeps sitting on that side of things, Arsenal forcing the opposition to be bad, then you're really talking. Um, and, and that's the performance that I saw on, on Friday night. I, I think Dean Smith said afterwards, physically dominant, and I thought that was so important. Arsenal looked stronger, they looked bigger, they looked faster, they looked quicker, they looked hungrier all over the pitch. And if, if, if we're going to split hairs, are, the, are they creating enough clear chances still? I'm, I'm not sure. But I just felt in terms of control and power and dominance, this was it. This was the sort of 82-minute performance, if you like, until Jacob Ramsey scored, scored that very nice goal for Villa. That, that's maybe been lacking. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we know with Arsenal these days, don't we, not to go overboard, but I felt this performance was a clear step in the right direction in that they made Villa look like a worse side than I think Villa are. And I think that was really important. Mikel Arteta said after the game, obviously he was quite happy with the performance, said that's close to what he wanted from his team. Simon, does he have to take some some credit really for changing the formation? I know there was much debate in the press box about whether it's 4-4-2 or 4-2-3-1. I think the key thing was he addressed that midfield issue from what happened against Palace, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And um, I think after that, that Palace game on Monday, we all, I think rightly sort of, you know, raised questions about where Arsenal are going under Arteta, issues that we'd seen in the style of play. And, and, and I'd said in my piece on the Tuesday, you know, hopefully Friday for, for Arteta will provide answers rather than more questions. And I think he did answer a lot of critics. And he spoke about after that Palace game about playing with the handbrake on. And I think the easiest way to, to rectify that was to play Lacazette which I know James spoke on the pod here about, didn't he, about, you know, the energy he brought, but also just, I think having Lacazette on the field, certainly from watching that Villa game, seems to bring the best out for Bamiang. I know it was basically sort of 4-4-2, whatever you want to call it, but I think what it does is it just links a Bamiang to that sort of midfield better than he's getting otherwise. I think what the issue against Palace was is that Odegaard and Smith-Rowe were sort of playing as eights or trying to play as eights. And it just felt like a Bamiang wasn't really in the game. And I think Lacazette's movement 
and the way he sort of pulled players out of position just brought Aubameyang to life. And we all know that the best time for Aubameyang and Lacazette has been when they play together under that that time under Emery. I don't think we're going to get them every single week playing as a two. But I think in games where Arsenal can be on the front foot, where they can take control, I think now Arteta has perhaps maybe slightly out of necessity, maybe slightly accidentally a stumble on something that I think could work going forward and could be something we see a bit more regularly. I think we've all seen on Twitter that Arsenal fans in particular can get carried away with with new signings, Nick. But when you look at Ramsdale, White, Tavares and Laconga all starting on Friday, are we starting to see how well the the club actually fared in the transfer window when we see the sorts of performances we are. Yeah, they all stepped up, didn't they? I was, I was particularly impressed with with Tavares. I, I thought his selection, which was necessary because of Tierney's injury, looked looked a bit of a red flag for me at the start because what we'd seen of him so far was sort of energetic but fairly raw. But I thought he absolutely warmed to it. He got in the game straight away with a, a couple of big runs up the field, a couple of crosses and shots going over. Um, and and really patrolled that left flank in a way that tells you, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to be taking Tierney's place when he's back, but tells you that there is a very good second option now for Arsenal, who, who is um, young enough to improve. Um, I mean, we, we can go through the new players at Ramsdale, a couple of good saves at, um, you know, at, at moments when Villa did spark and could have made things a bit more difficult than they ended up being. Um, ben White had, um, I mean, he, didn't have his best game against Palace and maybe was criticised quite a lot for backing off, wasn't he, for, for the goal from um, from Edward, the second goal. But I, I thought the other night was possibly his best performance so far. I thought he was fantastic on the ball. I think he made a couple of big dribbles out early on, which kind of broke the press, didn't he, and kind of set the tone for the tempo Arsenal were, were, were trying to make. And Laconga as well, that was a, a big performance from him. He obviously came in, made a bit of a mistake against Palace. Um, looked very comfortable alongside party, very comfortable indeed. Um, I think that was where Lacazette actually partly helped as well. I, I think, as as Simon was saying, he he, he helps Aubameyang takes and takes the pressure off him. But I thought he also took the pressure off those midfield two a bit by giving them that extra option in the sort of half space that maybe hasn't always been there. So. I think Lekonga stepped up very well. I've, I really liked, actually, the third goal, which I know will put down to Smith-Rowe's incredible interception and incredible lung-busting run, and 12 seconds later it's in. But I liked how quickly Lekonga recycled the ball to um, to Tavares, and then Tavares speared that ball into Aubameyang, and, and that pass basically said, right, do something with this now. And Aubameyang flicked it straight to, to Smith-Rowe. So I think, in short, it's all coming together quite nicely, and I think all these players will have moments and off days and times when we're all talking on a Monday morning and it's not gone quite right. It's not going to be this every week, but we've seen what's possible now, I think. I think the, uh, your builders next door are either knocking when they agree or disagree with what you're saying. Um, <laughs> I think, I think um, they definitely disagree. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Tottenham fans, yeah. Um, <laughs> one glaring omission from those those four plays we talked about there was, was Martin Odegaard, obviously was on the bench, not 100% fit. Uh, Sam Dean, who is a regular on the show, bit of a new transfer signing whore because he now is um, in love with Ben White as a part of Martin Odegaard. So I'm not quite sure what's happened there. But Simon, um, 
there's a bit of an issue here with Martin Odegaard because he had a, a, a real lean spell in the team for three or four games and now they've clicked without him in the side. Does he come straight back in or, or will he have to earn that place back, do you think? Yeah, I think um, I think it was some of the uh, Norwegian press who, who reported that he did have a slight issue as well going into this game, which I think is why he, he, he didn't start or certainly didn't help his cause to trying to start. But I, I think what they need to do with Odegaard now is... Personally, I'd be tempted to play him against Lee, uh, Leeds in the Cup um, and actually play him as a number 10. I, I, I think his poor performances or where he's been off it have come from the change in system. And I think he's probably been the biggest victim of that. I think we saw that at Brighton. That's probably probably about the worst I can remember him playing. And then he wasn't much better against Palace. But both of those games came for me where he was playing as a number eight. I think when he played against Tottenham as a 10, he was good. I think he was being better in the earlier games of the season. I think all this has shown us really is that he needs to play as a 10. I just think he's, when he's as an eight, I think he's too far away from the goal to influence the game. I think he's too deep. And right now, I think he's now got a competition with Lacazette for his space. I think I'd play him against Leeds. I'd keep Lacazette for, for Leicester because Leicester, Nick and I were there at Brentford yesterday and saw them playing there. They, they're going to play a back three again. Arsenal now seem to have a system that suits a back three. So, yeah, it's, it's good for Odegaard. I think it's good to have the competition, but I think we just now know that he needs to be playing as a 10 and, and not an 8, and I think he's just been a victim of, of the system, really. Someone who's arguably benefiting from the system because he, he gets into the team no matter which way Arteta set. So is Emil Smith-Rowe, obviously, Simon, you got an exclusive him last week. Is it safe to say his footballing ability outweighs his acting? <laughs> well, these Arsenal adverts, are quite, they're all quite interesting. I'm trying to work out who's had the best performance so far. Um, I think Smithrow's lack of words in his in his was interesting. Uh, I think Abamyang's probably taking the nod at the moment for me for leading. Literally, it. I mean, literally after the nod, that's all that Smithrow <laughs> yeah. could do is nod, doesn't it? <laughs> but um, I think it was. Uh, I've I've never actually spoken to to Smithrow Smithrow one on one like that, and it was also nice to do it in person. Obviously, everything we mainly do is on Zoom now, and. Um, what came across after a bit of time is that he, he is quite shy, but he did open up, particularly when he's talking about things that he likes to talk about, which are mainly Arsenal, you know, his family, who he's very close to. Uh, I think Arsenal have got someone there who really does generally, generally love the club. And they're quite, I've been lucky is probably the wrong word, but to have him and Saka coming through at this moment in time is a huge, you know, boost for Arteta. I mean, what would they be worth in the transfer market trying to buy two players like that? You know, probably north of a hundred million for the pair. And I think as much as we learned from Friday about, you know, Lacazette in the team, for me, I kind of think Smith Rowe's best position is now off that left. Um, I just feel like he has a bit more space out wide than when he does in the middle. He gets a bit congested, he can roam in. And if he starts adding goals to his game, which he looks like he's doing, I think he's going to be really knocking on Southgate's door quicker than we thought he would. Because I think we've, we've always said he was going to play for England, but at the start of the season, I didn't think he'd get in that squad for Qatar, but now I start to wonder maybe if other players dip, he's got a chance of, of getting in there. Yeah, I've, I've tweeted it a couple of times, having watched him play. I, I think I've been really impressed with him this season. Last year, I thought there was the worry he'd be a bit of a flash in the pan. I think his, his main concern on that England team is he's just he's just a, emerged at the wrong time, really, hasn't he? When you look at who he's up against. I did the, um, the Brighton-Manchester City game on, on Saturday. Phil Foden, while they might not be similar players in similar positions, they're, they're going to be fighting for, for that squad. And he, he was on another level and there are other players that are on another level. But 
Nick, you, you've seen enough of England and enough of Arsenal. Do you think Smith-Rowe gets a nod maybe in November, especially given England are almost there? He might get a run out against San Marino or something like that? Yeah, if he, if he keeps this up, you, you have to start dipping him in, into the system, don't you? And, you know, Gareth Southgate was at the game, I think, on, on Friday night and had, you know, from, from the seat where he was sitting, a, a very nice view of the run that he made for the third goal and, and for everything else. And I, I just think, yeah, it's a, it's a very crowded stock of players for England in that role. You can't deny it. We can run through four or five of them. But I think, I think Southgate's quite good at giving players a t- at least a taste, isn't he? And getting them involved in 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 that system, even if they're not then selected for every subsequent subsequent squad. So I I think you're right. It's a good opportunity in November to maybe put him in, and I hope he does because Smithrow. I mean, Simon said it, and you've said it a bit as well. The concern, if it was a concern, but the question mark was, what's your end product, I think, at the start of the season for me? And I remember saying it to to my colleague Dave Heitner in the stadium before the Spurs game. And then after a few minutes, he, he absolutely <laughs> showed his end product. And, and, um, and I think we're now seeing that on a pretty regular basis. We're seeing what he can do when he gets into the box. And we're just seeing how he can totally set or change the tempo of a game with the intensity of how he works. You know, all of those facets of things that go with Southgate lights. Okay, players like Foden and Grealish are ahead of him, but I think he'll get his chance. Whether he can work his way into that starting at 11 for England, I think is a different matter. But I think we'll see him in and around the squad in the next few months. He talks about end product there. I think Friday night it was a certainty that they were going to have a good night when Thomas Partey shoulders in the first goal past the apparent lesser than um, lesser than Aaron Ramsdale, Emiliano Martinez. Um, Simon, you'd have to be a bit of a legend to have to have backed that, wouldn't you? Really, but um, now that monkey's off his shoulder, that's another part of, of Thomas Barty's game. He was he was impressive again on Friday, wasn't he? Yeah, and um, it, it was. Yeah, I mean, it, we, we, he's been trying to score thirty-yard screamers for ever since he's put on an Arsenal shirt and then he goes and scores a near post header. So, I mean, <laughs> that sort of tells us something. But for me, I think he played like he had a, had a point to prove. Um, I thought, obviously, he made an error against Palace for a goal. The Conga, the same. Both of those, for me, went about their business in the way that they should should be in that Arsenal midfield because they were certainly physically stronger than you look at McGinn, Douglas Weeze and Buendia. And as much as Villa had three players, uh, La Conga and Party is so much, you know, more powerful and dynamic that the way to beat them was just to steamroll over them. That's exactly what Party did, and I think we've also learned that that perhaps he needs to be playing in a in a two to get the best out of him. The idea of him being that single pivot can completely understand why Arteta did it because you want to try and get you know as many of your best players on the pitch at once. But just the balance that I think Party had, knowing that someone else was alongside him. He just looked a completely different player. And all his bad games for Arsenal, when I try and think back to them, you know, I remember that Villarreal game when they got knocked out. Um, obviously, the one against Palace, I think at Brighton, he struggled. It seems to be when he's left on his own there. And, and I remember when he um, when he came over, I think we had this conception that he was probably going to be, you know, this all-concrete midfielder, just going to do it all on his own and run the game. But he needs people around him. And I think 
with Lakonga there just looks so much more settled and both of them seem to be seem to be blossoming and, and I, I didn't think they would work together I thought they were too similar but I think I've been proven pretty wrong on that and I think going forward until Xhaka comes back that's got to be the two I think big snub for Onene there <laughs> Leeds next up for Arsenal obviously they're, they're struggling in the league at the moment and Arteta seems to go relatively strong in the Carabao Cup Nick do you expect that again tomorrow? And and it should, on paper, with the way they're both playing at the moment, be a relatively straightforward night for Arsenal, shouldn't it? Should be. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm sure it'll be a decent game. Um, no idea what Marcelo Bielsa uh, Marcelo Bielsa will do team wise, but um, given given that they're not in the best position, but then I don't think these play till till Sunday, do they? So so maybe we'll see some first teamers. I think. Um, you know, Arsenal should win. I think Arteta will go strong. I, I agree with um, with a point about maybe giving Odegaard a chance to play his way into some form. I think we'll see players like Maitland-Niles holding Pepe Martinelli, who I think does need to get a good game under his belt. Um, should should be an interesting one. I I don't think we'll see too many surprises team selection-wise. I, I know Charlie Patino was very close last time out to getting in and um you know it, it's another kind of game where if you're 2-0 up after 70 minutes it'd be quite quite nice just to see a new face to keep things ticking along on that front but I don't really expect it I, I think it will be a lot of changes but completely familiar names as we saw against Wimbledon and I, I'd be surprised if Arsenal didn't come through it but games like this are, are an important test because a lot of the well one one of the issues that I I think there have been question marks around this squad is how 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 good is it beyond the sort of first 12 or 13 players that Arsenal have got. And I think we still don't know the answer to that question. There, there are quite a lot still in the squad among the backup players of maybe not quite players or nearly players who haven't done it consistently. So it's a good chance for a few of those players. And I, I put players like Pepe and Holding and Maitland-Niles among them. Um, maybe on any if you're very lucky uh, to, uh, to, uh, to see how things go. So, yeah, it should be an interesting night and I'd back Arsenal to get through that. Yes, Norman, I think Nick touched on it there. He made the point, didn't he? If you say to most teams, oh, they're going to rotate for the League Cup, especially for Arsenal in the past, that, that's kids we've never heard of. It's Blaise Aguio. Do you remember that kid who played against Blackpool, I think it was, when yeah. Lichtsteiner scored his goal? But when we look at that squad, and that's no offence to him, obviously, that's just a, an example that sprung to mind. When you look at the current squad, like Nick touched on, I just made a list. Leno, Maori, Chambers, Holding, Pepe, El Nene, obviously, Martinelli. They'll come in. It, it proves this, this squad now has got depth, hasn't it? It's something Arteta can't really use as an excuse if he was to in the future. Yeah, and I think the issue with, with the Carabao Cup before was it was basically Arsenal's fourth competition obviously with Europe so they already had midweek games and then another one thrown in was why you had to play the youngsters but I said it at the start of the season before the before the West Brom game when Arteta was under pressure and he was going to name a strong team partly because he was under pressure but also because you know, there is nothing nothing else really going on it's a realistic competition that Arsenal can win it you know populates the midweek calendar until sort of February March time and as much as you know, you, you want to play young players. These guys need minutes. And it was the same for that West Brom game. You, know, you looked at the team sheet, oh, you know, Lacazette's playing, Aubameyang's playing. Be like, well, actually, these guys, these guys need games. And I think Martinelli is probably a prime example in that. You know, if we'd had European football 
he'd have been playing every one of those Europa League games, but he hasn't. He desperately needs starts and um, desperately needs minutes. And I think there is a bit more depth than we thought there would be at the start of the season. I think the way, you know, I think fans were a bit worried about the players that came into the squad saying, are they a good enough level? But I think what it's done is it's, um, it's made the bench look much more attractive. And if you can bring in, you know, Martinelli, Odegaard, Pepe, as your three to pay behind the front man for a League Cup game, um, you're doing something right. So, yeah, I, I would expect Arsenal to, to beat Leeds. I think Leeds have got much bigger priorities. And I think Arsenal, if anyone was to name a slightly stronger side, I think it'll be Arsenal. You could maybe say, I'll oh, keep Lacazette in the team, keep Gabriel in the team. They've got Burn Leno in goal. So I think the fact that at home as well should be a big advantage. And yeah, I do really think it's a competition that Arsenal should be going for because you know they've got the they've got the space and they've got the squad to to go and attack it. I'm for the next round of Gestaguna. I'm currently top of our albeit small sample on ten points. The aforementioned Sam Dean is on nine. Nick propping up the table on zero. So the less said about his quiz appearances so far this season, the better. Um, Nick, maybe let the builders in and they can have a listen and see if they can help you out with this one. Knock, tw- knock twice. Yes. Um, for, for new listeners, uh, I'll read out a collection of clues and trivia which relate to a former Arsenal player. If you think you know who it is, shout your name. If you get it right, you get 10 points. But remember to show a bit of caution as if you're wrong, you will only get nine points from your next guess and so on. So let's play Guess the Gooner. Right, notepad out. I'm ready for this. Oh, he's gone serious. I joined Arsenal in 2000 and scored on my debut on November the 1st. I won the Premier League and two FA Cups during my time at Highbury. I was capped exactly 100 times by my country and played at Euro 2004. Ray Parler claimed, in it, claimed the Arsenal players applauded my appearance in a trial at the club to wind up a teammate who was worried about me taking their place in the team. Yeah, can I have a guess? Borska, Nick. Stepanos. Here we go. He's got 10 points straight. In. <laughs> yes. There we go. I didn't leave the builders for that. Well, no, I don't know. <laughs> that's what I'm telling you. They're communicating over the fence, actually. <laughs> yeah, they Give said it, two, knocks, two knocks is Eagle, second knock, <laughs> <Yeah>. Stefan <laughs> given how Given how his Arsenal career went, he could very well be the builder next door, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> is that, is that, is that going to insulate me from sledging for a few weeks now? <laughs> uh, no, long, good. no longer the cri- no longer the crisis player of the uh, schooner. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's early as well. Um, just to give you the rest of the clues, uh, uh, Simon, you can be honest and tell me when you'd have got it, if at all you would have. Um, mm-hmm. I spent the 0304 season on loan at Beveren before leaving on a permanent deal to join Grasshoppers. The goal on my debut was my only Arsenal goal and I appeared 17 times in the Premier League across my time at the club. I now manage my country's under-17s. Hmm. I'm, I'm probably best known for playing in a 6-1 defeat at Manchester United in February 2001. And the one that I think you'd have got it on, I was named Latvian Football of the Year in 2005. 
Pipping Marion Bahars to the wall, yeah. no doubt. I mean, um, I think I would na- I think name I would another off. Latvian. Who would have come third then? Name another Latvian. I mean, like, this is Nick's wheelhouse more than ours, I think. But <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm even gonna, Latvian footballer of the year, 2005. Let's see what we get. Oh, I mean, we joke about we... Stefanos, but I mean, he's got quite a glittering CV of you know, Premier League, FA Cup. I mean, wow, that's that's not good. Marion Pars won it three times between 99 and 2001. I don't even want to attempt to pronounce anyone else that's won it. Uh, Nick, do you know Pavel Steinbors? Uh, oh, top, top player. Top, yeah, he's, top player. Just, he's um, a goalkeeper. He's, he's, 30, <laughs> he's 36 and he's won it the last two years. So Latvian football <laughs> continues to produce winners. Um, talking of that winners, Paul, Nick, congratulations that, on your first yeah. win there. Thank you ever so much. That pile, of stories, that pile of stories from his autobiography, which I'm sure is a riveting read. Um, tales like that it was Martin Keown, by the way, was the player that they were trying to wind up. Oh, yeah. I do remember that story. I couldn't remember the player. I would have, I think I would have got it after that 6 1 United game because I don't think, I don't think he ever played for Arsenal again after that 6 1 game. Certainly not in the league. That might, have, that might have been his last ever like Premier League game. So I don't think he was. I thought Nick might have got it off the, off the bat because he scored on his debut in a Worthington Cup. Loss against uh, George Burley's Ipswich Town. I, I do remember that James Scowcroft scored the 89th minute winner that night. So <laughs> that's got to be another five points. Well, we'll make that that very fixture can be your uh, specialist round the next time you ask the Right. Thanks to Nick and Simon for joining me. Uh, we will be back later in the week to look ahead to the Leicester game. Enjoy your week. <laughs>